Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Coach Jeff Patterson. He has been described as someone who will help you draw hidden power from deep within so you can be who you are truly capable of being. In 2011, he joined a team to climb the tallest mountain in South America, Mount Aconcagua. Am I butchering that, Jeff, or is that correct? <laughs> All right, thank you very right much. Right on the money, Aconcagua. You got it, buddy. Nice. And it nearly killed him. Uh, the lessons he learned on that expedition changed his life and the lives of many others. Today, he's a master success coach and the best-selling author of the new book, The Big Thing Effect, How to Transform Your Life Forever, which is published by our friends at Aspen Success Press. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. Honored and excited to be here, Jason. Thank you. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you here. And Jeff, I first met you when I moved here to Aspen, Colorado to manage Explore Booksellers. And you had an amazing event upstairs in our bookshop, an overflow crowd. Uh, first, for our listeners who are unaware, can you tell us what you do? And second, can you tell us how you have managed to build such a robust base for your work? Uh, I am a success coach and I'm based in Aspen, Colorado, and I coach people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world. My passion is helping draw out hidden reserves of power, leadership to, to fully do the big mission that they're, they're committed to. And, um, the event at Explorer was such a fun, amazing event. That was the launch of my book a number mm -hmm. of months ago. And, you know, how I've built a following is really just serving one person at a time. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this since 1999 professionally, um, full-time since 2005. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, it's been a slow, organic build, really focused on, you know, helping individuals truly realize their big thing. So that's, it's built slow, slowly. Mm -hmm. But now it's, you know, it's got some momentum and it's starting to spread beyond, you know, this kind of regional community. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. And who are some people you have coached who our listeners might recognize? Well, I'm not going to speak to specifics. Honestly, Jason, I will say that I've coached world champion athletes, mm -hmm. uh, billion dollar tech founders, mm -hmm. people you see on television every day, Hollywood actors, directors. Uh, most of my clients are people that run organizations or are in charge of large missions mm -hmm. that have impact. Um, so they're recognized, not all, mm -hmm. a number of them very recognizable, but I, I just don't feel comfortable throwing out names, even though there are some testimonials to my book, but, yeah. um, but they're, they're like everybody, they're people who are just trying to utilize their gifts and their experience to make the greatest impact uh, they possibly can in the world. That's what they share. Absolutely. And um, 
totally understandable not making any statements about anyone you've coached i'll just say your book is blurbed by chris everett former number one uh, tennis player so we'll throw that out there for folks um but now let's move on to your book the big thing effect and our listeners will know that this is a bit of a left turn from the kind of books that i normally cover on the show but i did find this book to be fantastic not only for um your advice but the stories uh about you jeff and the things that i learned about you um but first jeff in a nutshell what is the big thing effect? What is a big thing? Yeah, a big thing is that thing. You know, that thing that deep down inside you've been longing to do, but maybe you haven't said it out loud or even acknowledged it within yourself. Mm. Everybody has a big thing and it's more than just a goal. It is a mountaintop begging you to touch it, a book to be written, a race to be won, more than just a goal. Um, and there are some you know, certain markers of a big thing, but it's big. It scares you. You have to grow to realize it. You can't do it alone and you must transform to realize it. Those are a couple of, of the markers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And Jeff, what led you to translate your work as a coach, uh, onto the page into this book that we have sold countless copies of at Explore Booksellers here in Aspen, Colorado? Honestly, my big thing for so many decades has been to inspire and uplift many people mm-hmm. to do not just be successful, you know, not just reach goals, but to do the thing deep in their heart they're longing to do. Mm-hmm. And I've I've longed to, you know, have that impact touch many people. And my focus in my coaching work has really been one-on-one. And I now I get asked to speak inside companies and stages. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my putting it to the page was really my dream and which is still alive to, to touch millions of people because this, this message has really been what's helped me through so many times in my life. And it's given me deep fulfillment. It's, it's what's really kept me on fire throughout my life, even when there's been ups and downs. And I think that's what I've ultimately seen with my clients, my folk, you know, I coach people on their big thing. And I noticed that that act alone of just clarifying your big thing unlocks something in you. And so I really wanted to get this out. This to me, the book is more of a service. I'm not looking for clients with this book. I'm not, you know, it's not about making money. I want this book in the hands of millions of people because I truly believe that if everyone, it just clarifies their big thing, it will change them. I've seen that happen in my life and many people's life. Even if they don't, even if they don't formally commit to it, just clarifying it has an incredible impact. So I want to give that to as many people as I can. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, let's now talk about death. Um you know, you open your book talking about uh, climbing a mountain, near-death experiences, climbing a mountain, the potential of climbing a larger mountain uh, that could be a very dangerous experience. Um, how can thinking about death, Jeff, give one a new perspective on life? Such a great question. You know, looking honestly at death requires that you also look in the mirror at the life you're living or not living. Mm -hmm. And on the side of Mount Aconcagua at 19,200 feet on the windy traverse, just 3000 feet below the summit, Mm -hmm. um, I nearly died and watched a man fall to his death in front of me. Mm -hmm. And 
in that moment, as I stared down at his red suit a thousand foot below on a cliff after having fallen a thousand feet, I, I realized that that while I was going for goals and was living a good life, I wasn't truly doing the thing deep down in my heart I, and no one else would know it. Mm. And so it was just this life-defining moment where I'm like, I'm not going to let his life be in vain. I'm not going to let my life be in vain. I'm going to do that thing. Even if I fail, even if I fall, I'm, I'm going to live my life as one who went for it. And I think we all know that deep down, we just need to be reminded. So looking at death and being honest that none of us know how long we have, what we get to do with that time is our choice. And so many of us are busy and distracted in a, in a very big world. And so this is just a call to arms for people to continue to stay connected to what's really important. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, our listeners know that along with being a book fan, a music fan, a fan of the arts, I am a sports fan, uh, basketball especially. I was very excited to see the Denver Nuggets win the NBA championship this past year. Um, you write something interesting about sports, and that is quoting the general sports fan who says, we won, uh, to which you reply, no, you didn't win anything. You watched someone else win something, end quote. Uh, can you talk about this section and the value of pointing something like this out to folks? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm I'm a Nuggets fan and a Broncos fan. And I, you know, I catch myself getting into the games and being disappointed when they lose and excited when they win. And I can slip into that mindset of, you know, almost projecting my dreams onto a team. Mm. And if they go for it and they win the, you know, the, the conference championship, whew, that kind of like lets me off the hook and I can go to work and not, you know, focus on my team, my big goals. Mm. And so I I see something happening in the world today where a lot of people spend time following, following leaders, following teams, watching them soar, watching them make big moves. And I think I always want to hold myself to task to make sure I'm making the moves I need to make that are aligned with my dreams, my big thing and my purpose. And so that's my challenge to readers in that section is, you know, don't project your dreams onto a team or onto another. You got something to do and and it's meaningful, it's important. And, and I don't want anyone to put that onto someone else and then think, oh, whew, now I don't have to do mine. Yeah, absolutely wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Jeff. Listeners, we're going to pause here for a word from our sponsor. Then I will be right back with Jeff Patterson. The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Jeff Patterson, author 
of The Big Thing Effect, which is published by our friends at Aspen Success Press. Jeff, uh, I want to talk to you now about you. Um, you share a lot of personal stories in this book, notably about at the beginning, a story about mountain climbing or the desire to climb a mountain. Uh, when coaching folks, how can a coach such as yourself help other people through personal an anecdotes? Yeah, you know, um, one of the things I think is so important in coaching that is not commonplace is so many coaches are focusing on tools and strategies and advice. And, and, you know, I think the most important thing a coach can do is to be on their learning curve and to be actively pursuing their own transformation and growth. Mm -hmm. I've been a hard, I've been very committed to my growth over the years. I've spent you know, a lot of resources, a lot of time and put a lot of energy into um, letting go of old ways of being, becoming who I want to be, building new skills. And and I've faced like, like everybody that's been through some life, I've faced a lot of trials in life. And so I've really endeavored to really be a product of my own coaching, as well as coaching people at very high levels and very high stakes to, you know, incredible results. So um, when I'm coaching, I, you know, while I'm also coaching and continuing to learn new things and I've had a lot of education and a lot of training, the best training a coach can do is to make sure they're getting coached, that they're continually pushing their envelope and growing and stepping into their dreams. If you're not doing it and, and, and drinking the Kool-Aid that you are giving, you're out of, I'm out of integrity if I don't do that. So to me, that's one of the most important th things about my work and coaching others. And, um, you know, when somebody hires a coach, that's something they should be looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. And I'm going to ask you about some of those um, trials you've been through in a moment. But first, I want to ask you about a quote. And that quote from your book is, it is never a convenient time to transform your life. Uh, end quote. Can you unpack this statement for our listeners? Yeah. Our place of power is always in this now moment. Like tomorrow doesn't exist. Yesterday is gone. And so eventually when I make the decision to do something, it's going to be in the now moment. Mm -hmm. So now this moment is always the most powerful time to do anything especially to choose and then to take a step toward growing. No one, I don't think people like to grow. I think it's one of those things where if we don't grow, we atrophy and you know, we're either growing or we're dying. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's not, it's one of those things where, gosh, you know, if I have to grow, then I, I guess I might as well actively participate in it. So, you know, it's kind of like planting trees. They say, when's the best time to plant a tree? 10 years ago, when's the second best time now? And the same thing with our life. And it's easy to push our growth and transformation off a day or two because of our kids, because of responsibilities, because of the bank account, because of, you know, you name it. And that's the great thing about coaching is co coaching is not advice and theory. It's about the application. It's applying what you know. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so powerful um, to me about being coached about the, the art and the profession of coaching. So yeah, you know, we'll always have resistance 
to doing the things that are uncomfortable and growing is uncomfortable to the ego. The ego seeks certainty and status quo because it's safe. It no, Even if it's in a mess, it's the mess it's used to. And that's a comfort right. level. So growing and becoming more than you were yesterday is actually going to bring up a fight or flight for the ego. And so it is diabolically opposed to change. And so um, it's difficult and it's so easy to put it off to tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes if we say tomorrow. So the only moment you could ever really choose it is now. It's kind of like getting into cold water. You just got to jump in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, back to to your story, because this book, um, again, your your philosophies and your applications are fantastic. The thing that pushes this over the edge to be a truly remarkable book for me are, are your personal experiences and anecdote, an anecdotes. And Jeff, you grew up in a town called Worms, Nebraska, uh, somewhere in middle America there. Uh, your parents divorced early in your life. How did their divorce affect you? And did it end up inspiring you? I'll handle that question in reverse. Yes, it did end up inspiring me. It was a great gift to my life. But it took me being in great pain and not not really, I didn't know it at the time, but I had, I had stories and beliefs about my parents, about me, about what it meant for my future that I wasn't aware of deciding and making up as a kid, but I carried them with me with some other personal trauma that I went through as a young boy. And ultimately, you know, it had me become a seeker. I felt very alone and very emotional. And I just, that nothing I looked to was really a comfort to me mm -hmm. other than walking through the fields of our Nebraska farm. And I found a connection with nature. I found a connection with what I call God and not so much a religious sense, but a very real energetic sense. And so um, that divorce really forced me to begin to build my life around what I thought, not what others thought for me. I had a lot of freedom, which was a gift, but also, you know, as a, as a young kid growing up, you don't have, there are certain guide rails, I think that you can get from others. Um, but I did have some good influences that I'm so grateful for, but, but the divorce was very challenging for me. It kind of created a split in me. I never felt like I really fit in in my mom's family. I never felt like I fit in in my dad's because it was there was this split. I felt that split inside of me. Um, so it took me a lot of seeking. I longed to understand why I felt so alone, isolated, and kind of deficient. And that put me on a path of seeking and healing because I was like, there's got to be more to life than this. This, you know, I'm not going to live life like this, but I didn't, there was, I was kind of walking alone as a kid, you know, at least that's my, that's how I felt. I certainly wasn't alone and I had people that loved me, you know, but um, so ultimately that put me on a path and that path led me to, um, you know, religious philosophies psychology, you know, coaching, even before it was even a field that it was established. And it really helped me to want to let go of all the things that were holding me back and really be free in my mind and live the life I longed to live. And it took me a long time really to understand all that and unpack it. But at the end of the day, it's, I look back and I could not have created a curriculum for myself 
that was better than what I had to truly let go of what's not real in life and to know what is real and to build my life from it. And that's been truly extraordinary. And then to be able to pass that on and coach others through that process of, 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 you know, letting go of the past, but also truly doing what they're here to do. To me, that's just the greatest joy in life. And I've been perfectly set. My life has been perfectly poised to do what I do now. And what I do now is absolutely not work. It is pure bliss, pure joy. And I'm so grateful I stuck with it as a career because I did it for a long time. No pay. In fact, I paid to do it. You know, my education and training, I had serious debt and, it, you know, I didn't care. I'm like, I love this and and was was getting so good at it. It was just so gratifying to do it. And I'm just, I'm just grateful that I, for all of it, truly. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. Um, speaking of religion, as a kid, you were labeled a troublemaker because in school you oftentimes challenged religious lessons. Um, what kind of lessons were these and how, as a kid, were you challenging them? Well, there were two things happening. I have to acknowledge in this. Number one, I was a kid and I had authority issues. I struggled with anybody telling me what I should believe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of healthy. I don't think anybody should tell somebody what they should believe. You know what I mean? Um, Unchecked authority is unhealthy. So I think that was healthy, but I, you know, I, I had, uh, I definitely talked back to my teachers. And so there are things that I, you know, know that are not optimal about the way I showed up as a kid. That being said, mm-hmm. um, I was being told the right way and how people were to go to God and what God thought of me. And, you know, I was told that God is love, God is infinite. And so I was also being told that certain people were going to hell and I the math didn't add up for me on that. And I just couldn't keep quiet. I, I wish I could have, but I couldn't. And I was always in for recess. I was in trouble. And then, and 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 the way that certain teachers reacted to that and wanted me to just accept their opinion because it was their, you know, I struggled with that kind of arrogance or what I perceived was arrogance, and I probably wasn't very refined in the way that I handled it, and I'm sure I deserved to stay in for a lot of those recesses. But fundamentally, I felt like I had an experience of what God was and what I was being told on the outside didn't totally match up. And I struggled with that and I tried to understand it and I tried to argue it and I just got shut down for that. And so I had to find God on my own in in the sandy pastures of my grandparents' farm. And that's where I built that relationship in a very tangible way. And so I had both, you know, that that kind of outer challenge with that and then my own inner experience. And ultimately I let go of what everybody else was saying and clung to that experience. And I spent a greater part of my life trying to understand that experience and come to my own terms of what that is, and which has been amazing. I have a very strong uh, faith and it's, it's, it's real for me. It's not someone, it's not just someone else's idea of what I should be doing. And I'm grateful for that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. I don't think you should uh, wish to have remained quiet. I think fighting against indoctrination is okay, even if you eventually come around to agreeing with the ideas. Um, Very good. Well, as an aside, uh, do you know the origin of the town name Worms, Nebraska? Why is it called Worms? (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, it's named after Varm, Germany. Huh. And and I believe that might be near where uh, Martin Luther nailed the 101 Thesis up on the door of the church and kind of broke away from the Catholic church, I think. There's some German history there. Yeah. Uh, it's a very Lutheran community. A lot of German immigrants immigrated there and homesteaded there. My grandparents homesteaded mm -hmm. uh, in what I call the suburbs of Worms, which is three miles north of Worms, which is population 34, not yeah. even a stop sign, just a highway running through town. Mm -hmm. um, and a small town, there's a, a a church and a school on one side of the, the highway, and then there's a, a a bar on the other side of the street and about 10 homes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Makes, it's cool. Well, so so did the locals say worms or, or varms? They said worms. Yeah. 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 Maybe it may be, you know, 20 years prior, there were a few people still saying varm. Yeah, got it. Yeah, worms. Very cool. Thank you, Jeff. Um, you used to be a host uh, on ESPN2. And uh, for Nickelodeon, um, can you tell us about what you were hosting and then how you transitioned from being a television host to a, a career coach or to a personal coach? Yeah. Um, I studied journalism and graduated the University of Nebraska and was lucky enough in school to land a great job with ESPN2 hosting uh, a TV show called Sports Edge. Mm -hmm. And it won a Cable Ace Award. And or, I'm sorry, I was nominated for a Cable Ace Award. I think it won, but I don't remember. It's been so long. Mm -hmm. And that helped me to land a job with Nickelodeon hosting live kids game shows throughout the country. I also hosted a show at Universal Studios. And then being in Hollywood, mm -hmm. uh, I started doing commercials and I always managed to land voiceover gigs. So that kind of thrust me into the world of Hollywood. And my my passion and dream at that time was to inspire and uplift millions of people. Mm. It wasn't to be an actor. It was to inspire and uplift people in every job, in every career, in every study I've ever had. The through line and the, the heartbeat is always to inspire people to do the thing they most want to do. And so those are the conversations I had in Hollywood, even when I was an actor and making you know, a living, an up and down living for, you know, about 10 years. And as I was going through Hollywood, I was always doing things to keep my mind sharp, to keep my fears out of the way and to have my best performance. And I was always reading books. I was always taking classes and people would always kind of ask me advice on things and I would tell them and it would really help them. And they'd come back and they're like, Hey, can we talk again? And Sure. And I was having coffee with people for up to like six hours a day. Sometimes I was so jacked up on caffeine. I could hardly see straight. Right. And, and I started to think, gosh, I, this is so much fun. Mm -hmm. And I, there were times when I would coach other actors in the audition room and I'd be late for my audition. And I don't know that I had the best audition sometimes because I was so, I just really enjoyed helping someone else perform at their best. And that was really the first sign where I could see something that also supported me in inspiring and uplifting people that wasn't acting. And then as I talk about in the book, I really kind of lay it out, went through some challenges and had to get some side work. And, and that really had me see that gift that I had always had since I was very young that could really make a difference. And eventually I hit a at a very crucial point where I just had this vision and saw my future and it wasn't as an actor, it was as a coach and as a speaker. And 
um, I made I made that change, but the core of what I was attempting to do stayed the same, which is inspire and uplift. Absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. Um, you may not be able to talk about this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Uh, did you run into any of the weirdness at Nickelodeon that um, Jeanette McCurdy writes about in her memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died? You know, I'm not familiar with that book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, but no. Um, Nickelodeon for me was an incredibly inspiring time. Their corporate mission at the time was inspiring and uplifting kids. And that just fit with my personal mission of life. Mm -hmm. And to um, it was very uh, joyful work. It was about play. It was about bringing families together. And um, so, no, I didn't experience any weirdness. And, um, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I learned so much, so much, many of my life lessons were learned on stage and on the road and at universal studios, you know, doing up to five shows a day in some, in some cases, and really, um, becoming a powerful communicator that handles a lot of different inputs. And then to be able to create moments with people and be really present in the hosting of that and create inspiring moments mm-hmm. with people, um, that was an incredible learning ground for me. Wonderful. Yeah. I won't, I won't go the, down the rabbit hole of Jeanette's book, but it's really well-written and it's been on the bestseller list for over a year. I recommend checking it out. Um, as a big time aside, University of Nebraska, is that, um, is Matt Rule coaching football there now? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. We could go down a wormhole now because I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a Husker deep down. Yeah. You can, you can take the boy off the farm, right? Um but yes, Matt Rule and the Huskers, and they play the Buffaloes this week. And I'm a huge fan of Coach Prime. I love what he's doing. I followed him since the 90s yeah. uh, when he really created that persona of primetime. And believe it or not, uh, you know, the way he coaches, you know, about operating from a set of standards and a way of operating, you know, and then delivering that way of being. Mm to then create your surroundings is very similar to the way I coach and I've used him as an example, like decades, you know, like well over 15 years ago. So I love what he's doing. It's not a surprise to me, the success he's having. I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah. I love uh, neon Dion and um, I've probably been following him as long as you have. I asked about Matt rule. I moved here. I was managing a big uh, bookstore in the Carolinas and I, I was an original, my family were original Carolina Panthers PSL holders and, uh, Matt Rules had a lot of success in college. He was the absolute worst professional coach I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. <laughs> um, Is that right? Yeah, I he was. Yeah, I mean, I think he's more well equipped to the recruiting and coaching of young men, and I think he just could not handle professionals. Um, it is what it is. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but I hope he does well in Nebraska. He seemed like a nice guy that was just underwater in the NFL. Yeah. I like, you know, I've, I've followed what he's <laughs> been doing. I like, to me, he's, he, he, to me, he's more of a preacher than a coach. Yeah. Like when he talks, he really gets to the heart of people. And I think he's connected to what's really important um, about building a team and what it's about. And it's more than just a game. And so I like what he's doing at Nebraska and, and I'm hopeful that the, you know, that the tradition and the the standards will get back to where Nebraska's, you know, always been known for. 
Yeah, yeah, I think they will. Um, well, Jeff, finally, um, and there's so much more to talk about here, but I trust our listeners uh, after hearing this episode are going to discover this book for themselves. But finally, I want to talk about indecision. Um, there's a moment in your book, uh, your friend is trying to talk you into this $50,000 mountain climbing expedition. You have said no. Um, and a lot of people, uh, they say no to something and that's it. They move on, they do something else, they they leave it in their past. Um, but you said no, and your brain kept nagging at you about the possibility of climbing this mountain. Uh, what were you trying to tell yourself in this moment, Jeff? And how do you think um, people grapple with moments like this in general when they've said no to something, but their mind is telling them that maybe they should have said yes? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, all of us have goals and dreams or intentions, and sometimes we're not even aware of them. And then an opportunity comes along and you're like, ooh, like this, I don't even know why, but something about this feels so good. And to me, that's not the mind. That's actually another part of me talking in my mind is the part that goes, wait a minute, you don't have the money. You don't have, you, you're not at the place. You're not ready for that. And so for me, my mind or kind of my, you know, conditioned psychology jumped in and, and kind of like answered no for me. And then I, after I said no, I was like, well, I'm tired of saying no for things that I tell myself I'm not ready for. Of course, I know I don't have the money in the bank. Not only that, I had 60 grand in debt. And I did not have the kind of business yet that would justify being able to come up with that. Uh, so I was really struggling because I'm like, I'm tired of being the guy that says no. Like I was saying no to go to dinner with friends because I didn't have money to buy dinner. I couldn't even buy a salad. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To have dinner and have, have a social time. You know, it was really, and I, I think I hit a breaking point and I'm just like, do I want to be the guy that says no, or I want to be the, I want to be that guy that says yes and finds a way. Mm. And so that's what had me second guess this. And it wasn't just climbing the mountain for me. It was, it was becoming that guy. It was becoming the kind of guy that says yes and finds a way. And I felt like I'd gotten a little stagnant, gotten comfortable with my lot which was student, you know, student loan debt and some credit card debt and really feeling like I was just scraping by. I got comfortable in that place for like seven years. You know, and as an actor in Hollywood, like the struggling artist, I never saw myself as that. But, you know, even though I was booking work and making progress while I was building my coaching business, I I just found myself stuck in this kind of limbo. And I'm like, I always say I'm going to break out of this, but when? But when? When I have more money, well, that hasn't happened in seven years. When? It goes back to the point we talked about before, about now is the only moment. I finally just hit a point where I'm just deciding that today's the day. And so um, that that was really the spark. And all of us have indecision. That's a normal thing. And I think it's often that our mind says, well, if I'm indecisive, and this is so difficult that it must not be for me. And I think maybe the opposite is true. If it's really hard to say yes or no, maybe it's really important and it's just the mind getting in the way. And so that's really the point of one of the big points of this book is 
Most of us are so focused on the task list and taking care of the many important responsibilities of everyday living, we don't ask the deeper question, what's my big thing? What do I really want to do? And just clarifying that, it like wakes up the volcano. It, there's a power in each one of us. And many of us have just resigned the fact that, well, I, I was that, I, my, hair were, my hair was on fire in college, but I'm older now. I got responsibilities. I can't expect to be on fire with life. That's not my experience. And the reason is because of the big thing. It will pull aliveness, power, and new life from you in a way that nothing or no one else can. That is the big thing effect. When you clarify and say yes to your big thing, it sets something in motion and ignites an aliveness and a power in you that is incredible that most people are thirsting for and they don't know it. And it bleeds into every area of your life. That's the big thing effect. And that's what's changed my life on multiple occasions. It's changed the lives of thousands of people I've coached over the last 25 years. And I want it to touch every listener and those people out there that know there's more for them. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. And thank you for writing this wonderful book. It certainly gave me a lot to think about and reflect upon much more than I was anticipating when I picked it up. And I think our listeners will have a similar experience. Listeners, I've been speaking with Jeff Patterson, author of The Big Thing Effect, which is published by our friends at Aspen Success Press. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Jason. Once again, I would like to thank Jeff Patterson for joining me. Copies of The Big Thing Effect can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsors at Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.